0: Morning. Is this thing on? Um, For a while this year, (laughs) let me try that again. Better? Yes? Okay. For a while this year, we talked about simple obedience, and God was pressing on me to speak. Um, What's funny, though, is that right around the time we started talking about changing our wanters, he uh, he was kind of resistant. He wouldn't just let me sit down and write. I I felt like this was something that I needed to do. And every time I sought him out like that, I got the same answer. You're not doing this out of obligation. And for me, anyway, that goes right to the core of simple obedience. Is this an obligation? Is this a duty? Do we just trade one set of chains for another? I used to believe that. This was, this was about fear and obedience. After all, we've kind of been told what we need to do, so what's left, right? Doing it. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So if we're not obedient, we must not love him, right? Well, maybe not. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about this struggle with... Paul putting in clear words what we all have to go through. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. What a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. We went on to talk about our dual nature, a spiritual nature that God has created in us and our old one that seeks after sin. Asking God to help us want the new, to want to live in the spirit. We defined what the struggle was and we sought help. And then last week, last week we started to get into how, how to ask for help in those moments when we need it most. And if you haven't seen that sermon, you're missing out. Go watch it. But today, today I wanna get into why. Why do we try to follow him? Why do we try to do right by him when such an obviously powerful part of us doesn't want to? (laughs) For me, at first, it was about fear. I don't wanna go to hell, so I better do what God says, right? I was was more focused on being a good Christian than on having a relationship with God. And uh, that meant it ended up being mostly about me trying not to piss off God and um, (laughs) asking for forgiveness when I did. I'm I'm sure that's completely unfamiliar to you guys. (laughs) Anyway, um, simple obedience. right? The way I understood it, it's easy to say, right? But it's, it's hard to live. It just, it just doesn't work. And it doesn't work with Scripture either. right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and humble. You will find rest for your souls. Easy. It's a constant battle. If my guard falls for a second, thoughts that I hate enter my mind. I'm guilty of every thought, every desire, every path that should lead me to death. How is that easy? How can knowing what a fundamentally broken person I am give me any life? I was supposed to be dead to sin, and this thing still lives in me. So I I try to learn to better control it. Right? And, uh, and God even has some advice on that, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now oh, I get it, I just need to be renewed. My mind can be transformed and, and maybe then, maybe then this part of me will finally die. So I try to change my patterns of thought. I push my mind away from things that could lead to sin. And I see some success, honestly, right? My behavior is a little better under control. But it's not gone. The desire is not gone. That part of me is just caged up. It's ignored. I still struggle to do what I know is right. I still have to push my mind away from the things that I know are wrong. Those things that I want, that you hate yourself for wanting. When I was eight or nine, we moved in with my mom's boyfriend. He was an angry person, broken, like, like the rest of us. Right? He'd get violent sometimes, but it wasn't really violence that was the hard part. It was the, the bullying, the threats. It was that he made me feel small and weak, afraid. I remember once I was home alone, and I was sitting in my room playing a game, right? And I was behind my bed, just one of those um, beds with shelves on it or something, so you could kind of sit behind it without being seen, right? And he called out, asking if anybody was home, and then he started walking the house from room to room, right? And I could have answered. I could have said something. I'm sure nothing would have happened other than a few extra chores if I had time to sit around and play a game. But I was terrified. I just, I just, I didn't move, didn't speak. I just waited. I remember being so grateful when he peeked his head in the door, thought it was empty and moved on. Grabbed whatever he came for and just left. I was afraid all the time. I hated myself for that, for being weak. We, eventually moved out i was angry whenever i'd think about it you know that someone could make me feel like that i started to hate him more than me that splashed onto most people in my life i became an angry person if anything came near those memories that was how i reacted i wouldn't feel like that again that was how the world was. People could feel like that about me. I was done being a victim. But I knew it was sin. Lashing out was wrong. Saying hateful things was wrong. Reacting like I did was wrong. Just feeling that unreasonable anger all the time was wrong. I had to stop it, I knew I was supposed to stop it, to control it. But how could I? I had so much more anger than willpower. Trying to transform my mind it didn't work, right? That happened. My mind was a dark place, and no amount of effort seemed to turn on a light. But focusing on it, fighting against it, it made me see it clearer than ever what an ugly thing I'd become. Most of me wanted to be better. Part of me just wanted to stop feeling guilty all the time. So I escaped for years. Pick your poison. Anything that let me avoid thinking about it all, that let me be distracted long enough to, to get a little bit of that peace that God seemed to just out of reach. This is where fear took me to obligation, to guilt, to shame. I've asked uh, Josh to pray for us this morning. Thanks, Josh. God, I thank you for a gorgeous day outside, and I thank you for the word that you've put on Alex's heart and that you've burdened him to deliver this morning. God, I just pray that you would be with him, that you would speak through him, Lord, I think that you have already prepared our hearts and minds to be able to receive what you want to say and to help us walk with you better because of it. Father God, I lift up the Foursquare Conference in Hawaii, God, and I just pray that everyone there would feel rested, renewed, refreshed. Lord, that you would breathe life into all of those that are in attendance and that you would be li- breathe life into us here this morning. In your name we pray. Thank you. I don't remember what convicted me to try and forgive anymore. I, I remember being mad about the idea of it, that if anything, he needed to ask for my forgiveness, right? I remember feeling justified for being angry, I mean, you know, it's, it's child abuse, it's a freebie, right? Everybody gets to hate that. But it doesn't work that way. The, the change was subtle. I, I honestly don't remember when I noticed it anymore. I, it, it seems like something that I used to remember, but at some point, wanting to forgive, trying even if it was just kind of what I thought God had wanted me to do, you know? It it became more than words, taking more and more to make me angry. Realized it was gone one day when I was driving down the highway, and. I saw him, right? And I expected to react, to be mad, to have this outburst like I would have. And then nothing happened. I was just surprised. Forgiving him, or rather let, letting God change me into the kind of person capable of forgiveness healed that part of me. And I realized I wasn't angry about a lot of things anymore. It wasn't spilling out onto everybody. Letting God take the lead did what no amount of prayer and distraction and effort could have ever done. The thing is, I was missing the context before. I was seeing things backwards. I saw things to do, things to obey, rules, obligations. He wanted to set me free. And I used his word to make new chains. I'd look at a verse like, like this one. And I'd see another reason to try and force righteousness. I'd see this and fear for myself. Those who are according to the flesh, minds on things of the flesh, Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, and the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. I used to struggle a lot with that. I mean, if I couldn't get my mind off things of the flesh, I must still be living according to the flesh. I must still be broken. I kept doing this. I kept putting the wrong way around. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on it. Those who are of the Spirit set their minds on that. I had to be someone new, someone of the Spirit, someone who lived out of that nature. Not try to make my behavior match what I thought someone living out of their spiritual nature would do. The funny thing is, I I still didn't get it. Not for a long, long time. I knew what God had done. I knew that He'd healed me somehow. That I wasn't angry all the time anymore. But uh, notice the theme. I didn't see the context. I may have been healed in one place but I was still determined to be right before God, no matter how much effort it took. I'd like to read you something I wrote a few years ago. Actually, a lot of years ago now. (laughs) A promise I made to a master. Here I write before you, my love, my Lord, my Savior, my friend, my God that I will take upon myself the curse and the oak in your law to keep your, observe your commandments. I will by faith and prayer walk this life on my knees in order to tame my tongue, to turn from lust into a righteous desire for whoever you'll prepare for me, to cut my pride from me in speech, action and belief that in all things my confidence might rest on, and not on the abilities and talents which you've given me. That My words would cease to wound and always bless my touch would cease to be selfish and seek intimacy. That I would remember always that whatever shame and disappointment I encounter in this life, you can find it greater in my betrayal of you and my responses, should governed by the love you've shown me through that. Today, January 13th, 2008, I take upon myself a new goal that wherever you send me, whatever responsibility you trust me with, one talent or 10, I will use it and work with it as best I'm able. That when I had to release me from this life and I kneel before you, you might stand me up, embrace me, and say, Welcome home, my son. I'm so proud of you. It's not all bad. It's not all good either. Look at my focus. The curse and the oath. The mention of the aim and disappointment in me the promises on what I would do without any acknowledgement of who I would need to be in order to do those things. I was trying to please a master. I was trying to finish in the flesh what I started in the spirit. I was responding to my own sin, my own shame, and not to the love that God was trying to share with me. That's what's so tricky here. We wanna do what's right, but we are at least I, was doing it for the wrong reasons, right? The devil's in the details, and he was certainly in these, because believe it or not, I couldn't live up to the new standard I tried to set for myself, which just led to more guilt and more shame. During this time, I was friends with a guy who was like a brother to me from day one. In in fact, the, the night we met, he bailed on plans with his girlfriend to come camping with me and a few other guys. And I, I wouldn't recommend that, gentlemen. It uh, <laughs> didn't didn't go so well for him. <laughs> we spent most of the night uh, camping and playing guitar, talking about God. In a lot of ways, we were alike. We had the same sense of humor. We um, we spoke the same language, if you know what I mean. It's like no matter what words were used, we always knew what the other one meant. And we both had these real struggles with temptation, but passion to do what God actually wanted us to do, even if we screwed up all the time, right? We started getting together every morning to talk, and pray, eat breakfast, and start the day right. And uh, for years we did that. Even even when we moved to different towns and stuff, we'd call and make that happen. I don't think I've ever had another person stand beside me on my walk like that. I thought at the time, it Felt like like having a brother in arms, you know, like someone watching my back in the war for my soul. Anyway, one thing we were really similar in was our approach to handling sin, trying to dominate it, control it, to seek forgiveness for failing to obey God. You know, we knew that he didn't expect us to live a perfect life, but that was the standard he set, Right? We were ashamed to let him down. In other words, simple obedience. I think, I think on some level, because I knew how God had healed me from my anger, I was eager to get back to him most of the time. Even when I was ashamed, I tried not to push away God in the middle of that. You know, I, It's what I used to do when I was mad. I would build this wall of justifications and frustrations and distractions, and I could hide behind that, not have to look on God, and not have to see what I was, right? My friend, my friend didn't seem to have that, at least not in the same way. And over the next few years, especially after he moved away, he would regularly get tired of feeling guilty, right? Every time it seemed when he couldn't take it anymore, his beliefs would change in a small but significant way usually to allow the sin. And we'd talk about it and pray about it, but we got busy and we talked less and less. I think, for me, the struggle was that I didn't know how to help. My brother was losing the fight and I couldn't do anything for him. It seemed like with every mistake he'd make, he'd feel more guilty and angry and isolated. I think that last part... Weight on me pretty heavily because I, I stopped trying to get in touch as much as I used to. You know, I think I felt guilty that he was struggling so hard when my my wife had just recovered and my faith felt stronger than ever. I'll always regret that not making more of an effort. Then one day it happened. He uh, he and I were on the phone and he said to me that he didn't believe the Bible was true anymore. He didn't trust it. He was a good person he was gonna live his life as a good person, but he wasn't gonna follow a book written thousands of years ago. It's true, by the way, he is a good person. He's one of the best people I've ever had the honor to know. And some people think that's enough to get into heaven, but I'm not one of them. We both knew what saying that would mean to me. I grieved for a while, but I mostly just stayed busy with other things. Simple obedience its anything but simple. We can't force that kind of behavior. We can't will ourselves into obeying God with any sort of consistency, but we do. We're so trapped in trying to stop acting bad that we forget that God is there wanting to help us become good. We see verses like this. We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And we stop. We believe being good means not doing bad. And we miss the transformation in favor of rules and obligations, chains. We miss the context for all who are being led by the Spirit of God: These are the sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit option. We haven't received a spirit of slavery. We didn't trade old chains for new ones. We went from slaves to family. And I was so stuck in my old mindset that I just, I just thought I had a new master instead of a new father. For those of you that don't know, my wife has a rare illness uh, where her immune system attacks blood vessels that support nerve cells in her bro- body, usually her brain. It's called central nervous system vasculitis. And in 2011, she almost died. And it it took that. It took Chelsea's illness for me when she started dying and God pushed me to trust him in a way that I never had to do before. To start treating him as something more than a master. When she got out of the hospital, she was on 36 different daily medications because her brain had been under attack, she'd had a lot of symptoms. She had seizures and hallucinations. works. They had her on chemo and seizure drugs, antipsychotics, steroids, meds to handle meds, meds to handle symptoms, meds to handle the symptoms caused by other meds, you name it. She had an allergic reaction to the seizure drugs, and she had these horrible rashes, itching and swelling. She just barely escaped dying, and now that she was home, she had to put up with this. She was so frustrated that she'd break down and cry pretty often. Over the next month or two, we went back to the doctor several times to try and get a seizure medicine that she wasn't allergic to, but she kept having a reaction, sometimes the same one, sometimes a little different. One night, after lying in bed until three in the morning, I just, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I got up and I got dressed and I went for a walk. And I tried to think about how lucky we were, how I learned to trust him even while she was dying and now she's home, but I just couldn't. I was just, I was so mad. At some point, I just started yelling at God at three in the morning on a street. I think I looked a little bit like that. (laughs) 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 The pain, the frustration, the exhaustion. How could he do this? How could he love his daughter? And let her live through that horrible experience in the hospital only to slowly tear her down to nothing as she recovered. But that's what it took. That's what I needed to stop treating him like a master, to stop trying to act happy with whatever he gave me, no matter what it was. It's, I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. You know, he knows our deepest desires. And yet, when we talk to him, we try to, you know, be real polite, right? (laughs) Got to submit just in the right way, you know. I I just know when I was up there doing that, he's like, thanks, Alex. Thanks for censoring yourself for me. I I just couldn't handle it if you were rude now and again, (laughs) (laughs) He didn't bring me some sense of overwhelming peace that night. I think I just wore myself out, you know? I was... I was so emotionally exhausted. I just didn't I just didn't have a lot left. But I think that was a real turning point for you know, once you've cussed out God, it, it seemed sillier not to talk to him like he's a real person, right? <laughs> <laughs> I dunno. We later found a doctor who actually cared and told us, oh, they're all aromatic hydrocarbons or something. Of course she'd react the same to all of those and gave her a medicine that she didn't have any reaction to at all. Things got a lot better. People say that we love God because he first loved us. And in a way, that's true, right? But not the whole story. If that were all it took, there would be no cases of unrequited love in this world, okay? He reacts to us individually. For me, it was the constant care and support. It was realizing that that fear came from me and not from him. It was learning to trust him in ways I hope I never have to do again. And it was realizing that he wasn't going to abandon me or smack me around whenever I didn't show the proper deference. Right? That's, that's where the rele- real relationship is, our real ability to bond to him. Comes from that, comes from knowing Him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We sing a song last week about this that I'd never heard before. And then, the worship team is just on point because they sang it again today. I am a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. It's beautiful. Why should we try? Why should we want to be rid of our sinful nature? It's not because it's better for us, it is because we want to respond to him. We won't, we can't have victory over this when we try to do it for ourselves or because we're afraid. We need to react in love. I mean, I can't even stick to a diet. Like, mastering myself enough to conquer sin is completely out of the question, (laughs) Think about if the relationship wasn't with God. It was just with someone you cared about. Right? For example, my relationship with my wonderful wife. And let's ethically that I'm way more of a jerk than you guys all think I am. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks. And Chelsea asked me for a hand-making dinner. I could help, right? But I could resent her for it. You know, it's been a long day. I'm tired. Don't I deserve some rest? I mean, she's a way better than me anyway. What am I even doing in there? Or I could not, but I could feel guilty about it. You know, what kind of husband am I if I can't give my wife a hand when she needs it? You know, she's had a long day too. She deserves some rest. What kind of person puts their needs above their spouses? The first leads to conflict, and the second builds a wall. But the result of either is separation. Is that what I want? What if instead, I responded out of my love for her, you know i could I could help, even though i'm tired and knowing that it's not something she obligated me to, but because I see her, I love her, I care, I want to help her or or I could just be too tired and sore. I could say no, knowing that she loves me without obligation, without conditions, there's no guilt between us, in fact, not only is there no guilt between us but she wouldn't want me to help out of obligation. Now look at it from her side, right? How would you want someone to react to you? Do you want someone you love to feel frustrated or guilty or afraid just so you can get what you want? Or do you want someone to care about you, to be confident in your love for them, You want someone to look for ways to love you back, to respond to you, not out of, but because that's what love does. Love responds, relates, reacts. What do you think God wants? You think he wants robots? He could have made robots. He could have made awesome robots. (laughs) But he made us. And then when we turned away, he died to break down the wall. He lives in us, waiting for us, responding to us, helping us respond to him. It's that part that changes us, the active, living, loving relationship that he wanted in the first place. Look at at how Jesus spoke to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Look at Peter's reaction. Grief that Jesus would doubt his love. I mean, guilt, knowing that after denying him three times, there's ample reason to be doubted. We see so many things as commands, demands, rules, duty, chains. What if that's not what they're supposed to be? What if these commands are God asking us to help with dinner, telling us how to love him? How do you respond to that? How do you want to respond to that? We can't force ourselves to act righteous and call it victory. And remember, we can't force ourselves to act loving either, okay? He loves you, he loves us, and he will take whatever we have to give and cultivate it. Together, it'll grow. And out of that love, he will help us become the kind of people who want righteousness. The kind of people that can actually be simply obedient. We can respond to his needs because we love him. The behaviors that we're so concerned about right now are going to follow that, not lead it. by songs of men and angels, but don't have love. I'm a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. Without love, we are nothing. And I was trying to do everything without love. I was, I was trying to succeed at righteousness without love. But it's all about love. Love we get to share with him. This is what he meant when he said when he spoke about the new covenant through Jeremiah. Right? This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel, Israel. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Don't you want to be his person? when we live out of our love for him, out of the relationship that we've cultivated together, we want what he wants, not because we wanna be a good little boy, because his love lives in us, it's in our minds, it's on our heart, it's so big and so overwhelming that it splashes onto everything we do. That's what he meant when he said he wants all of us. It's not 100% of our thought or our time. It's not 100% of our effort or our donations. He wants us to be so in love with him that we can't help but let him color every part of our lives. Down in front of you are two cups. We take them remember the most loving response God ever had to us he saw our need he came and he died to be with us and the lower one is the bread father your body broken to break our sin to build the bridge we needed to be your family Like this and think of what you mean to him in his blood. blood flows to make us live again, give us the chance to relate to you, to respond to you, help us to seize it, help us to become the kind of people that want to seize it.